0: hello and welcome to a new episode of other record labels i'm your host scott Orr, where we talk about the concept of taking the mystery out of running a record label but today it's part of our uh, artists on Label series originally uh, exclusively for our patrons but now these episodes that we're doing this month is geared to our whole audience the concept of this idea is of course the whole channel the whole podcast, everything at other record labels, is about taking the mystery out of running a record label. And the Artists on label series speaks to that topic from the artist's perspective. And this is what we learned today in our episode with Barty Strange, where, um, by the way, so great to be able to say that. I'm such a huge fan, and it's just really cool to have him on the show. But anyway... What we learn from Bartiz is his history with labels, what he loved about labels when he was growing up and discovering music, and the labels he's worked with, and, and his perspective as an artist. I think this gives us so much uh, awareness and empathy to be better record labels uh, to our artists, to be better stewards of their art. Uh, and that's the whole goal of this series, and I hope that you pull from that. If you're new to the show, please subscribe and visit our website, otherrecordlabels.com, where we have tons Seriously, tons of free resources that you can download for free if you're thinking about starting a record label or if you already have an independent record label. Go to otherrecordlabels.com. There was a tweet from you a few months ago. And I think about yeah. this tweet like at least twice a week. And and uh, I think it was really encouraging and for a lot of us empowering. You said, I was either going to spend my spare time getting good at TikTok or Ableton and I chose Ableton. I love that uh-huh. because I think there's this like enormous pressure coming from who knows where for artisan labels and any creative to learn these platforms and to try to promote themselves. But now like since since that tweet, I honestly haven't thought about trying to do that at all and anytime I'm tempted to do that, I just go and and write or or record so first of all thank you for saying that because it was a game changer but what brought you to that like enlightening realization
1: i think it's like i always am thinking well personally i'm always trying to like grow my business you know as an artist you know i'm like i'm like oh i want to be like i want more people to hear my stuff you know i want to increase my monthly listeners blah blah but more so like i want to have like you know natural like word of mouth like growth over a long period of time you yeah, know and yeah it's kind of interesting to look it's hard not to compare yourself to others you know to be frank you know sure. uh, like for myself like i've had a really really good like last few years and even for me i'm like <clears throat> wow someone's streaming so well like how do i how do i do that i think i'm better than they are you know what i mean yeah. it's like you're always like in your head about stuff like that but eventually you hit a point where you're like okay there's 24 hours in a day like, am I going to really invest the time to make my TikTok channel amazing and bring in like new fans that way? Or do I just like focus on the music yeah. and make sure that the quality is high? Um, and it may be a slower burn, but I think that's actually like the right burn. Yeah. Um, you know, because like my friends who are on TikTok and who are like kind of killing it but it's not necessarily translating into like more tickets being sold. Sure. They may have like they may have like really cool like merch drops. Yeah. But like it's not like they're selling out shows all of them. Same with my friends that are streaming really well. So I was like it seems like the best way to like ensure longevity is to have a really great product yeah. or like very good music, you know. Yeah. Yeah. To keep retooling and getting better at that and I 100% I don't, agree. Said, Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of what it was. Do you it's hard to do that? Do you question that decision? Um I know it's the right decision, but it's just a longer and lonelier road. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, but it's like it's definitely the right thing to do. Um and it's also what I enjoy.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I get that. Let me add, were there people are there still people who kind of like whisper in your ear and say you know you probably should get on tiktok
1: not really anymore um because everyone knows everyone knows kind of deal. where i stand on it now <laughs> <laughs> but there was definitely a time you know i was like meeting the tiktok people and meeting the youtube people and yeah really trying to be like okay if this is what i have to do to like grow as an artist then i just got to make time for it but then the more i just kind of started looking around i was like it kind of seems like if you're making great music, a TikTok thing can happen. Sure, you know, like yeah. it, it, your music can just get used. Yeah. you know, it's like, it and that's not like you know, Misky had huge moments on TikTok not because she was posting on TikTok. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and so it's kind of more like you just need to have pr- like like some presence there and have your music be able to be found easily and but i mean it kind of takes you right back to the root like you got to have great music and so
0: yeah uh, yeah i i think that's a even even in a, if it may not be the right decision in the short term it's definitely the right decision in the long term you know mm-hmm. i i love yeah. that um i we talked you, you mentioned you know the past couple of years for you and i I guess we have like we've had some of your people in your sphere on the show Brassland and Jamie has been on the podcast before and, and so I've been able to see like just this like ascent and and from my seat it seems like really organic and I would never say oh that's an overnight success my question for you is does it feel out of left field or is it like, no, 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 this is a destination you programmed in the GPS a long time ago?
1: Um, it's definitely a destination I programmed a long time ago. And many, many baby steps really yeah. over the last, you know, 10 years, honestly. yeah, Five years wow. before I met Jamie, you know, wow. just, just starting super small, one fan at a time, playing in really small bands and being kind of like a voracious musical person, like, playing anybody's band pretty much making beats learning tools buying gear you know yeah from yeah from pretty early
0: yeah i don't know if you've taken a minute to reverse engineer any of what has happened to you in the past two years and say it was this habit or it was this specific skill or a certain decision have you done any of that accounting
1: yeah i've had to talk about it a few times so i do think about it a little bit yeah yeah I mean, basically, I, I've had a lot of luck, um, but it comes from good planning. <laughs> I yeah. like to think before yeah. I before I like, was doing music full time, I used to plan campaigns, um, political campaigns. Oh, and, okay, right, like, right. Yeah. I read that. Okay, sure. <laughs> so I've I've kind of got like a planner brain and like a strat- like a strategic. Like, if I'm gonna win, who has to be there so it works? Mm-hmm. You know, like kind of how I think about things. Yeah. Um, but I felt like with music, the biggest thing, dude, is like I realized when I lived in New York, I played in so many bands, and so many of them were like incredible bands, like jazz artists, country artists, hardcore bands, and incredible musicians yeah. and incredible songwriters. You know, and I was like, why is why are none of them becoming huge? You know, I just yeah. couldn't figure it out. And then I I kind of start. I made a few realizations. And one of them was, like, in New York, in that scene that was, like, so dense, you needed a lot of money to poke through. Hmm. Like, you needed to be able to find, like, you needed, like, either the time to become very, very on the scene so everybody knew you, or the money to, like, afford all the infrastructure to, like, have the gear and the studio time and, you know, all of the, the van to like actually hit the road and like grind for a couple of years. And if you didn't have that, you're just in a pool of incredible musicians. Wow, it's just really hard sad. to be found. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well there's one thing. And the other thing is like, when things don't work, you have to change them. Like hmm. you can't do the same thing over and over. And I felt like when I decided to stop playing in bands and starting to like focus on my own project, I was able to make decisions quickly. Yeah. And like, yeah just try things, you know? So that was kind of like, those were critical things.
0: I think a couple of minutes ago, you said the word luck. I mean, is it like, I read this art. I was actually read a quote this morning. It was an actress who said it about speaking about drama school from high school and how there were all these people in high school who were actually better than her. I forget who it was now, but uh, in drama school. And yet for some reason, she's the one who made it in acting and is like, I don't know, I think about luck all the time and I don't know how big of a role it plays in music. I I think about it in respect to when an album comes out that sometimes you just drop an album and it's like the absolute right time. And I'm not talking about like the unfortunate releases that came out in like February or March of 2020, but like sometimes an album just comes out and it hits everybody at the exact right time in their you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Or the
1: opposite. Do you think, what do you think about luck? I think luck is, I mean, I believe in luck. Oh, Um, I very much believe in luck. (laughs) 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 I believe in luck, but I think that luck um, has like the wrong definition. Okay. Like a lot of people think luck is like an uncontrollable ghost Uh. that flies into a room and makes things happen. But that's not what luck is. Luck is about percentages and hit rates. Hmm. I think you can set something yeah. up to have an eighty-six percent luck luck rate, right? <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, <laughs> which, is, which is which means you should probably put the record out. You yeah. know, like yeah. And I think like I experienced that with Lyft Forever. Like my record came out in the middle of the pandemic when yeah. a lot of people were not putting out records. And I remember doing an assessment, thinking like, okay, I had put out an EP right at the beginning of the pandemic called Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy. It was like a Nationals cover. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It came out on like March 7th, 2020. (laughs) I had a whole tour planned after it Wow! and it came out and like, obviously everything got canceled. But what I realized was I was like, Oh, this is like the first time journalists are writing about my stuff that I have like a little bit of label support. And there's a little momentum here. Mm. Like it's there. It may not be huge, but it's there. And so as I was thinking about live forever, which was done, I was like, Everyone is going to shelve their records. And I think I have a really special one mm. and people are going to need something to listen to. Yeah. And if this works, this could be a very special record for people. It could be a pandemic record. Yeah. Something that people use to get through a really hard time. And I felt like the music was like really uptempo. It was motivational. The story was already being established in my first record. Yeah. So I was like, I feel like I have a pretty good chance of this poking through. Yeah. And that was like my luck assessment. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: That's a great point. And I mean, like, it makes a ton of sense now, it, two years, almost three years after, well, two years after Live Forever. But like, it makes a lot of sense now and go, yeah, that that does make sense. Good job that you saw that. But like, if I was on your advisory team, you know, in the winter of 2020, I'd be like, I don't know, we should hang on to this. <laughs> so it's good that yeah. you made that call.
1: And, and, and what's funny, because my advisory team was Jamie, <laughs> you know, and it was just me and Jamie and Jamie was like, dude, I think we should put this out. Awesome. You know, like Jamie was honestly the one that was like, this shit is going to work. People are going to keep putting out records. Like, yeah, people can't afford that to put records. And then Jamie said something that I respect her for so fucking much because she was just like, dude, and if it doesn't hit, just make another fucking record. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. hundred percent. And I was like. And I was like, "That's fucking right." Yeah, because people get so caught up on thinking like, "Oh, this is the one." Yeah, and it's like, it may or may not be, but you can have many ones. You know, yeah. like yeah, I know. The, the, like, yeah, just keep making. Records, you know, that's the whole point. But, I love. Yeah, I love
0: that. Um, I know that you produce an engineer, and we we had the best on just recently who record and mix their own stuff as well. And I feel like I'm noticing a, this a lot more lately. I think there's a huge benefit in keeping the whole process in the same hands. Do you agree? What's
1: your thoughts on that? Yeah. I think it depends on the music and the artist, obviously, but I do think that it's important to understand what's happening with your music. And it's important to have the language to at least be able to express what you want to happen with your music. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who make records at various levels who are pure songwriters cannot, and don't understand Ableton or Pro Tools. And yeah, I, they're often disappointed with what they get, yeah. even if it is successful, Yeah, because it just might not be what they wanted to do in their their head, but they don't have the tools to really explain it yeah. or get it done. So I feel like it can be really empowering to at least have some basic knowledge of how to run the session and add things to it in your spare time. Because for me, that's how I feel I develop a relationship with the album. You know, right. it's like being alone with it in my basement messing with reverbs yeah you know compressors, yeah. and yeah so yeah it's it's a, it's ha- i think more people are going to do it and that's good and all and a lot of the greats did it you know there's stories of prince sitting at the ssl punching his vocals It, you know it's like, i know yeah people don't realize that like like after a show that, too <laughs> exactly yeah. and people don't realize like that relationship with an album is what can make an album great Yeah, like being that deep in it
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when I, when I watch documentaries and I read biographies of bands from the sixties and seventies and eighties, it was, there was only a select few. They all had home studios, but it was only a select few. You had to, you had to millions of dollars to have a home studio. So huge advantage now. Yeah, yeah definitely. S- someone said online many years ago, this leads into to this. It was a kind of a hot take, but it was basically saying mm-hmm. that DIY artists pretty much need to have a a DAW and a mic and a preamp. Like it's pretty much part of the uh, artistic process now to be able to record
1: yourself. Do you think there's truth in that? I think so. Um, I mean, of course you can just have a band and just practice and play and meet someone that'll record you. But like I was saying, if you have the tools to do it yourself, Uh, at least like do it yourself to at least some level. Yeah. It gives you so much more flexibility and an opportunity to like, it's really, it's like about speed and quality, Mm. you know? And like, if you can do things in house, you can have more speed and you can, and if you can ensure like a certain quality level, you're kind of unstoppable. Yeah. I feel like something that really hurts artists is um, the distance between releases or, like yeah. their inability to capitalize on momentum when they have it, yeah. And if you have the tools to do that, then like you can you can control your destiny,
0: yeah. In you know, a lot of ways, yeah. A hundred percent agree. Hundred percent. Is it part of the is yeah. it part of the writing process for you? Like thinking about the mix.
1: Yes, I mean, I produce records for other people, and yeah. definitely on my own stuff. Um, And I'm a pretty aggressive producer. Okay, so I'm like. I'm I'm printing reverbs and I'm printing delays and I'm smashing things on the way in. And yeah. I'm really trying to get the finished product early. Right. You know, like yeah. I'm risk. Yeah, yeah. I like to take the risk. Yeah. And so, and my, I give mix engineers very few options. I'm like, <laughs> this is the song, you know, make this, make this stick together a little better, yeah. but like this is what we're going for, right, you right, know? Right, and yeah. And um, but yeah, I think that is important to the creative process. For myself, I'm normally like demoing things out. And a lot of times my songs that come out are like half demo tracks, half, you know, news tracks, right. You know, that have been cleaner in a studio. And right. I think that the combination of that is actually like so sick. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah what yeah. I'm hearing in my head. That's you know? awesome.
0: You seem <clears throat> you seem prolific. Like um, maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I I mean I get that impression. I think a lot of people get that impression. Um This there, of course, you have control over the studio because you're you can do a lot of it on your own. But now that you're in you're in the the industry with your record label and with vinyl wait times, does uh, I know you're a strategic person? That's great, but does strategizing ever mess with your
1: creativity? Um, that's a good question. Does strategizing ever mess with my creativity? No, man. I feel like there's plenty of space for both. Yeah. And they kind of go hand in hand because I'm always thinking about, as I'm making the record, I'm thinking about that record in so many ways. Mm. I'm like, how do I want this to come out? What's the first song people are going to hear? Yeah. When does that happen? Does it make sense for it to be in February? Maybe October's good. That's awesome. That buys me more time. Yeah. That means I can put the, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm always weighing the pros and cons of the entire process. Yeah. Through the entire process. Right. You, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it all plays off of each other. Yeah.
0: I'm, yeah. Oh, no, I love that. And I I, I I, totally get that. And I think that is maybe one of the keys to success that we're talking about at the beginning. And and I, I love when you said that, like, you're unstoppable. Like, that's, if you are thinking about the way, because I would imagine this all goes back to you being a music fan first. And so you're, you're thinking empathetically, about the people who are gonna hear your music, when they're gonna hear it, what stage in their life they're gonna hear it. Uh, For that to be part of the creative process, I think is insane. I think that's really cool.
1: Oh man, that's definitely how I I think about it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: What does a label do for you as a creative? More specifically, uh, to our audience who are primarily uh, record label owners, what should we as labels be doing to serve creatives like you especially prolific creatives
1: oh just deals that will allow for flexibility Mm. in releases you know I get a lot of asks to do collaborations or um, guest vocals or you know like oh yo let's do a little let's do like a six-track mixtape and let's just do some rap beats and like put the shit out it'll be fun you know like those little things are what feed me as an artist and inspire me right and those are also things that teach me lessons that I use on lessons that I use on records in the future. Right. Like, so I yes. need those experiences to make good records, you know, for you, for the label. Yeah. So deals that will allow for flexibility and that understand the bigger picture of like, as an artist and as a creative, I need, need to be creating and getting feedback on things to like, that is my fuel. Yeah. So, you know, the more labels I understand that, I think for artists like me, it will just bring more good music generally for everyone. So, yeah,
0: that's really smart there. I don't know if this is still (laughs) true with some labels, but there was like a, a blackout window, right? When, when you weren't Mm. meant to be like featured on somebody's record in the couple months before and after your own record is, I don't know if that's, but like, I totally get what you're saying. Like, like labels would be like, we want all the attention to be about your record, so don't appear on someone else's record. But it's so mm-hmm. that's so smart that like just let the artists do whatever they need to do to be themselves.
1: Yeah. That's honestly why I signed with 4AD, because they have like such an understanding of what actually builds artistic careers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Yeah, like we are a piece of this larger puzzle. And we have like our own levers we can pull and, you know, yeah. to make your music heard. And we have an audience ourselves. But like, they know that like me, Bartiz, Bartisse is making beats all every day. <laughs> Bartisse is always talking to some artist about a, a split EP yeah. or a collab. Yeah. Bartisse is producing records. Bartiz wants to do a lot of things. Yeah. Like, if we want to keep Bartiz happy, we got to make sure Bartiz can do as many things as he wants. <laughs> you know, otherwise, he's going to yeah. not give us the thing that we want. Which is a great record, you know. Yeah. It's like it all feeds each other. And I'm trying stuff on these other records that I improve on and use on my own stuff that is in my label deal. So it's right. like I'm uh <clears throat> that's how I am. Mm-hmm.
0: Um speaking of four A D, we had Nabil Ayers on the show this year. Have you read his book?
1: I have Sun- My Life in the Sunshine.
0: Yeah. What a great book. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, man. It's a pretty fascinating story. Oh, I was like heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, it's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, were there labels you were aware of growing up? Yeah. Did they matter to you at all,
1: or were you more into the bands and the artists? Well, once I understood what a label was, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, cool. Because you'd have a situation where you'd be like, man, I really love like the National Future Islands and TV on the radio. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, they're all on 4AD. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, and you're like, who else is on 4AD? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. like how it worked for me. So, yeah. And it was like that, like Tooth and Nail. I was like, oh. under oath, the almost. Yeah. Like Norma Jean Who are these fans? Yeah. Oh, they're all on this label. Cool. You know. Like, yeah. And then, then, you're wearing the Tooth and Nail like hoodie the school. Yeah. You know? just, oh you know, my it was gosh. Like,
0: I think yeah. Tooth and Nail was probably my first label like that too because it was the first Mm -hmm. that and fat records was the first compilations so i had a tooth and nail compilation with like yes like uh, danielson family and like some of the weird stuff and that was the first time i heard Mm -hmm. weird music and Mm -hmm. i I, yeah i mean it was that was that changed my life really
1: yeah i mean that's how i eventually found like dude circus survive yeah you know like yeah like some bands that like to this day, me without you, cursive, yeah. Like these, like out these compilations were huge. Or like, like, oh my goodness, dude, that was so big. Yeah. Sub Pop, I remember those compilation records. Um, my buddy got me a Sub Pop compilation record one year. It was like the first Father John Misty record wow. was on it, wow. and I was like. Oh my God! Who is this? Yeah, and I didn't know that he was the drummer for Fleet Foxes. Right. Then I found Fleet Foxes, and then I was just like, Oh my goodness! The depth of sound, you know. Yeah. And then after Fleet Foxes, I found like Justin Vernon, and then it was like Jack Jaguar, like (laughs) Sharon Van and then all you know, it's just like it just carries you, you know. And then you get involved in all the side stories like. Who's the piano player for Justin Vernon? Oh, S. Carey? Right. Who's Sean Carey? You go down there, you know? Yeah, it's like, true. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's nice
0: to have that through line that a label creates. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bartiz and thanks to Bartiz for taking the time to chat with me for this series. Such an incredible opportunity to chat with him. So many helpful tips I hope that you can pull from that. And we'll outline some of these tips um, and, and thought processes from Bartiz in our weekly newsletter. If you don't get our weekly newsletter, it's um, geared towards indie record labels and advice that we learn from each other and from our community and from the labels we have on the show. Make sure you sign up to our newsletter by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash insights. It's called Record Label Insights. And so you just go to otherrecordlabels.com slash insights. If you're new to the show, make sure you subscribe as well. That's awesome if you do. And go to bartizestrange.com to find out more about Bartes.